You've probably heard about Montessori schools. However, the Montessori approach goes far beyond the schooling of children. It is a set of tools for understanding children's developmental needs in order to provide them with the right opportunities that will help them maximize the potential they were born with. How can you bring these concepts into your home where your baby spends most of its time? I'm Jeanne-Marie Penel, and today we're talking about setting up a Montessori-inspired home. This is Parent Savers, Episode 62. Faster than a speeding toddler. Sit still for just a minute. Can soothe boo-boos with a gentle kiss. Would you get down from there? Able to clean poopy bottoms in a single swipe. Oh, what did you eat? Turning frazzled mommies and daddies into procreators of peace and harmony. Ah, quit touching me. It's Parent Savers, empowering new parents everywhere. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of Parent Savers. We're broadcasting from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. Parent Savers is your weekly online, on-the-go support group for parents of newborns, infants, and toddlers. I'm your host, John O'Reill. Thanks again to all of our loyal listeners who have joined the Parent Savers Club. Our members get all of our archived episodes, bonus content after each new show, plus special giveaways and discounts. Subscribe to our monthly Parent Savers newsletter for a chance to win a membership to our club each month. Another way for you to stay connected is by downloading our free Parent Savers app, You can get that on the iTunes uh, App Store or on Google Play. So please download that so you know when our latest podcast is released. At Parent Savers, we gather a group of parents to talk with experts about topics. And today I'm joined in the studio by three panelists in addition to our expert. And all of these panelists are some of our super parents. They're folks that you may recognize from being on the show before. Um, I've got Lori, Ursula, and Scott here. So just a reminder for everyone, let's go around the room and talk about how many kids we have and what we do. My name is Lori Babb, and I have two boys. One, uh, Lorenzo, is five, and Marcelo is two and a half, and I own a local small business, and I'm also an educator. Hi, I am Ursula. I have uh, two boys, Desmond and Callan. Desmond's four, and Callan is two. I'm Scott Killian. I am 36. I am a certified financial planner. I've got one son, Alex, and he is three. And I'm your host, John O'Reill, and I have three boys. Quinner is six, Whitaker is four, and Zyler is two. And our expert, Jean-Marie, is here as well. Jean-Marie, do you have kids? I do. Um, I have two. I have a daughter who's 16, Eliza, and Adrian, a boy who is 12. Nice. Now we have a question from Ruby. Ruby wrote us and said, My daughter was playing on the playground today, and she met a little girl with Down syndrome. She could tell something was different about this little girl, and later she asked me about it. My daughter's almost three years old. What is the best way to talk to her about this? Hi, Ruby. It's Amy Goyle, special needs expert from Tadpole Therapy, here to help you answer your question. First of all, when you talk to your daughter, keep your answers simple and age-appropriate. Kids don't need to know all the complexities of a medical condition. It's too much for them, especially if this is their first time being exposed to the subject. There's tons and tons of topics and concepts that would be awesome to teach your daughter. To start with, I'd pick the one that seems to take up most of her attention and begin there. For example, your daughter noticed a girl at the park that seemed different. You can begin to talk to her with the idea in mind that you want her to learn that everyone she meets, everyone that she comes across in her lifetime is different, whether they have a disability or not. Your explanation might start something like this. That little girl's body works and looks differently than yours. But we're all different, and that's okay. It's the way we were born. You can elaborate and give her examples about what you're talking about. 
say something like, we know people with blue eyes, we know people with brown eyes, some people are tall, some people are short. Your daughter might not have freckles, but the neighbor kids do. Another example would be, some kids were born with eyes that don't work as well as yours, and they need glasses to help them see better. The point is that different is acceptable and different is normal. Teaching your daughter that we're all made differently is one way to avoid sending the message that a child with special needs is damaged and valued less. Different does not mean damaged. Different is on the spectrum of normal. We're not all made the same. As you begin to talk to your daughter, you might find that you're searching for the right words to say or the right examples to give. If you find this happening to you, go to the library or go to the bookstore and search for children's books related to Down syndrome. There's several out there. They're written at the preschool level and have characters with Down syndrome. You just might be able to find one out there that talks about the topics that you want to share with your daughter, and it takes the pressure off of you. You're an amazing mom for wanting to introduce your daughter to kids with special needs. Best of luck to you, and thank you for your question. Today's topic is all about the Montessori learning environment and bringing it into your home. Today we're talking with Jean-Marie Penel, or Jean-Marie Penel, <laughs> if I can try to pronounce it the French way, from Viola Montessori. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's actually Voila Montessori. Voila. <laughs> did I say Viola? You did. Viola. <laughs> now we could re-record that or we could just say that in there, but I can. All right. <laughs> Viola, it is Voila. That makes a lot more sense. So let's start with talking about the Montessori method. I know many of us have heard of it. Um... But I know that usually when I have conversations with friends about it, there's maybe some misconceptions or some understandings. But let's, from a broad view, talk about what the Montessori method is. Okay, so basically Montessori um, was developed more than 100 years ago by uh, Dr. Maria Montessori. And she basically taught us to observe children and really taught us about the universal needs of children um, all over the world. And the, the actual educational method when you are in a school setting, it's um, some of the principles are that there's a prepared environment, that we actually create an environment for children. Her first school was named Casa de Bambini, which means children's house, and we have kept that name for um, children's schools. It is um, a lot of, um, not a lot, but there's limits and order. Order is very important in the environment. Um, there is a mixed age group that, that are windows of developmental needs. So children usually stay together about three years with the same uh, guide. It's all reality-based. We give um, information, real information about the world, no fantasy and fairies and so on and so forth. Um, there is a real freedom of movement. We do not uh, constrain children to sitting at a desk in a certain place. They move about. A lot of the lessons actually involve movement a lot. Um, and one of the very important concepts to me is the uninterrupted work cycle. Uh, in traditional schools, we tend to constantly interrupt our children every 20 minutes. They need to change, to go to math, to music, to do different things. And here we're letting them really get involved in their work and concentrate. And so for the three to six-year-old, for example, the ideal is a three-hour uninterrupted work cycle. And the children will waver in and out of their uh, work that they have chosen on their own. I think that 
when you say a lot of those different principles that it's based on, mm-hmm. a lot of the confusion I hear about with Montessori has to do, I think, with processing this concept of freedom and three-hour chunks right. with structure and order. So it, it is, and that is one of the misconceptions that it's, you know, it's school where children do whatever. Right. But it's freedom within limits. Mm-hmm. There are definite limits. Children we know thrive on limits. And for example, one of the, you know, examples of the limit, and I was working in a, in a classroom, is that the children are shown how to use certain material. They're given a lesson. They're all individual lessons. And so the children choose only work that they have been shown. So that is one of the limit because a two and a half year old is not going to be able to do the work of a five and a half year old. So they know that if they go on the shelf and take that work off, somebody's going to tell them, it's usually an older child who's going to tell them, have you had a lesson? And that's a limit. So they put it back and they know that they can only choose the material that they have been shown. So that is a limit. And it it just brings on self-discipline and self-directed work. It's interesting. I um, Our oldest is in kindergarten, and the teacher mentioned to us that she can tell which kids have been to Montessori, which kids have been to a specific daycare in town, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. kids have been in coma, which kids have not. And she really she really appreciates the Montessori kids. Yes, yes, because it is, it's all based on the idea that we're all born with the drive to learn and to adapt to the culture, the time and place that we're born into. And so we just create an environment so that the children can thrive and adapt to their time and place. So a lot of it then, we associate Montessori with schools, mm-hmm. but you actually talk about bringing it into the home. Exactly. And why is it so important to bring it there too? Well, for one, I mean, it all started from the fact that parents were bewildered by how different their children were in the classroom setting than they were at home. And uh, Montessori is very much based on the environment that we create for our children. So I thought, well, then we need to look at the home environment and see what we can do to alter it so that the children are peaceful, self-driven, and that they can self-disciplined and independent at home. And it's really very simple changes and adaptations that are made in the home for children to feel welcome and be able to be independent. It's really, it's an interesting point because I think a lot of us have experiences with, and we talk, we've talked about it on some previous episodes, that our kids will act one way with other people and then we get them we get the we get the bad parts of them sometimes it feels like right that they're not as structured. The authentic. The authentic. <laughs> That's right. Um have you guys, uh, Ursula, like, did, did you say you went to Montessori school? I did. I had a wonderful, wonderful experience um, at my Montessori school. I was, this was, I was born in 77. So this was the late 70s, early 80s when I attended. And, um, you know, of what I remember, I remember a lot of the activities being things um, like learning how to tie shoelaces or learning how to tell time, Um things like that. I remember a lot of freedom. We had a garden, um, doing a lot of painting and stuff. Um, and so that's as much as I can specifically remember, but I do remember how important I felt growing up of having that experience. And I don't know how many adults look back on their time in quote unquote preschool Mm -hmm. and really cherish it, but I 
do. And um, my son does not go to a Montessori preschool, but he goes to a preschool which had studied all these different disciplines and has incorporated a lot of the Montessori methods within the classroom environment. But it's not specifically a Montessori school. Just a little parenthesis about um, preschool experience. I was listening to an interview of um, the founders of Google who actually say that they're, the fact that they think outside of the box and they were able to create what they created with Google was from their Montessori preschool experience that let them kind of, you know, really choose what they were interested in. Yeah. And that's really the, the concept is really about following the child. Every child is different. We all have different interests and we all want to learn and, and children believing that children know what they need to learn, I think is really important and just giving them that freedom. That's, that's really interesting. Mm. Uh, so let me talk a little bit um, about your journey mm-hmm. with Montessori. Um, and I notice as you talk about it, you when you talk about Montessori concepts, you're saying we, we, we. Like it's, it's kind of like a family once you're in it. I, or? I think it is. It's, <laughs> it's a very strong community, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And so did you go to Montessori preschool? I did not go to Montessori preschool. I actually discovered uh, Montessori really. I have a younger brother who's 12 years younger, and he went to Montessori. So I was kind of in tune to that. I we used to go to school and help out a lot and so on. And when I really read about Montessori was pregnant with my first child, so 16 years ago. And it just kind of really opened up my eyes about just the, you needed to be intuitive and really let the child show us what they're capable of. And, I, and I've always believed that children are way, way, way more intelligent than we give them credit for. Um, and uh, so I just, I read this book uh, in French that was called L'Enfant, and it's translated into The Secret of Childhood by uh, Dr. Maria Montessori. And then that was that, and just went on with my parenting. Um, I was a graphic designer. And, you know, midlife crisis, I kind of like, okay, I've always been wanting to work with children. What could I really do? And I looked into the Montessori training, and there's actually a Montessori uh, training center here in San Diego, and went back to school and got my master's in Montessori education. So I first trained for three to six-year-olds because it's, again, it's by developmental windows, and then went back and did my birth to three. So I'm now trained from birth through six. And this idea of bringing this, these methods to the home, is that kind of a new thing? I, well, you know, a lot of Montessori schools offer that to their parents mm-hmm. where they do home visits, especially for the schools that have younger children. Because one also of the misconception is that Montessori is only for preschoolers. But Montessori education really starts at conception, uh, really the whole birth, and it goes through adolescence. Uh, Marie Montessori developed, you know, uh, different environments all through adolescence. So the really the birth to three really opened up my eyes about how much we could be doing to help parents understand their role and how they could prepare the home. So that's and to me, it's it's really important. And I think it needs to be uh, broader and, and brought to the general public and not only to those who go to Montessori schools. All right, so when we come back after the break, let's dive into some specifics about bringing it into your home. We're with Jean-Marie Pinnell from Walla Montessori. I nailed it that time. Uh, We'll be right back. 
Welcome back, everybody, to Parent Savers. Today, we're talking about creating a Montessori environment for your kids in your home with John Marie Pinnell from Voila Montessori. So let's talk about the different stages of development. Um, you talked about your training um, right before the break. Um, let's talk about that birth to, was it birth to three years? Yeah. Um, and, you know, what we need to do for kids and, you know, how we can bring that to the home. Well, it's just, um, for one, the the understanding the stages of development, I think, is really important for parents to just, you know, read up a little bit. Not too much. I, I think parents can get involved in too many facts. Um, but just know that, you know, children are born with 100 billion neurons just waiting for connections to be made and that there are this immense potential in them and that they will only develop all these skills if they're given uh, proper language, if they're, if, you know, humanity is modeled properly to them. Um, so one of the very first, you know, stage is that whole bonding stage. That whole first two months is really important. And it's, it's uh, giving the child trust in the world. And it's really one of the first psychological legs to personality development. So just understanding your important role of being with the child, with looking at them in the eyes, with talking to them, with holding them, with just respecting them from the very beginning. Yeah, there's kind of a school of thought now, like that I've heard about the fourth trimester, right? Definitely, the definitely. first three months. Um, but that you maybe treat them differently in that first three months than you do, that you're and still treating them as a baby or, or as a fetus almost until they're starting to come up to their own. And you're saying engage with them even more. Engage with them and just be very respectful. I mean, uh, Montessori talks about it as, as the psychic embryo, which I think is pretty powerful because it is, it's just that you know, that adult in the making and that we need to, to you know, really respect it and hold it in, in reverence of the, you know, potential that they have. That's so important. I really, I really vibe with that kind of theory of, you know, we're the parents and they're these little people, but they're full-grown spirits inside them. Exactly. And exactly. we just are, need to be their guides rather than the, their authentic authority figures authority and and you know wanting to control everything it's really about following their rhythm and and you know parents who are expecting are already feeling a rhythm within them so it's just it you know when they're born they have their own rhythm and it's just being in tune with it and just going with the flow and not trying to control everything all the time so it sounds like it's uh it's more about instead of you know, I can imagine like, you know, a chart on the wall saying, well, by this age, by this age, by this age, instead of doing that, it's more like, well, let's, let's look at the child and let's, let's see what's let's happening look at the and, child. and go with the flow. Let's look at the child. But it's interesting that you bring up the chart because there is a universal chart. Every child on this planet has the same milestones and they come about them maybe, you know, few weeks, month of differences, but they will all evolve in the same way and in the same sequence. So it's just respecting the, you know, the flow of life. And even, even, you know, I see with my two children how different they were just came about, you know, differently. So it's really respecting their individual personality. So in that sense, does the chart even matter? I don't think it does. I mean, I know that I have had to tell parents, stop reading, stop comparing, because I had this one mom Every day she was looking on the internet, but my son should be doing this, but my son should be doing that. And it's like, you know, get down on the floor and enjoy being a parent. Just mm -hmm. 
be there with them, communicate, you know, be there, enjoy it. Yeah, you get, I mean, there's the benefit to getting those emails and, you know, seeing where they are, but that's also, yeah, you can You can downside. get kind of wrapped up. You got to yeah. read the disclaimer at the end. It always <laughs> says, each child's an individual. This is just a guide. Each child is an individual and each parent is an individual too. You know, we react differently and, and we just need to, I think just get back to our intuitive, um, we were children once, you know, we just need to kind of get back there. Yeah. We should put that disclaimer on this show. <laughs> I'm curious, so what, what is, are the things that parents can do in the home to kind of um, bring these, I mean, is it, is it setting up stations? Is it setting up specific um, time for certain activities? Um, how do you do it? Um, from, from the beginning, it's understanding that... Um, Children are very sensitive to order and routines. So what I really recommend is that parents, you know, as they're waiting for the child to arrive, or even if the child has arrived, is to know about the four basic areas in the home. And that is the sleeping area, the feeding area, the physical care area, and the movement area. And just to have, to know that your home is going to change a little bit and that you just need to have those areas um, ready for the child. And that ideally they're always the same because again, it's about having a routine. It's about uh, giving security to the child that they know what's expected of them when they go to that certain area. Um, It's really, very simple uh, setup. I don't really believe in the, you know, big production of nurseries and fluffy and all this. It's really very simple, uh, low to the ground. Children are are small. <laughs> so let's keep it small and, and, and uh, you know, have things for them low. So it's really um, a very simple setup where there's uh, minimal toys, uh, that they are organized in baskets um, on a low shelf. The children, <coughs> excuse me, the children see them right away. They will know to be able to go get them and also to put them back, right. which is very important. I have a question about what you just said yes. about the four environments. So the sleeping, I'm hearing a contrast between sleeping and movement environment. Yes. And does that mean, I know my kids like to play in their bedroom a lot, mm-hmm. So, but does that mean the Montessori way would say maybe better not to do that in the no, bedroom? Not or? at all, not at okay. all. It's just that the sleeping area should be a, um, what I really recommend is a small, good quality organic mattress low to the floor, a floor bed really. So that's all there is there. There's no distractions. The movement area for a child who is not yet quite mobile, who isn't crawling yet, is a very um, nice little movement mat somewhere else in the room, and it can be in their bedroom, definitely. Um, Preferably up against a wall with a low mirror along that movement mat. Children love to see themselves. It encourages them to move, to go towards it. It gives them feedback about their body, about their body scheme. And um, later on, you can put like a ballet bar against that uh, mirror where, where they're going to start trying to um, get up on their two legs because that's all they want to do. They see us walking. That's, that's their goal that first year is to start walking. So it's, it's really just a separate area just so that when the child is put down on that sleeping area, they know what's expected of them, that this is where I relax, this is where I go to sleep. So it sounds like this is more for the very early ages. 
but more? It's for the very early ages because once the child does start crawling, the entire home becomes the movement <laughs> area. The area. Well, right. The that's entire where I was home. a little yes, confused yes, there. Yes, yeah. definitely. Okay. All right. Yeah, definitely the entire home. And I really emphasize that the entire home is and that there's certain little adaptations that you need to make. And they are temporary because children do grow up and those beautiful objects that you had on the coffee table will be able to come back down one day. But for now, just put them up and um, just let them explore. I mean, movement is very important for brain development, for personality development, for self-esteem, for, for everything. I mean, movement is life. Mm-hmm. I know one of the challenges I have, because my son went to Montessori preschool, mm-hmm. and he still is there. Um, I was trying to incorporate more of those principles and just the clutter of, you know, all the stuff they accumulate, all the books, all the toys, you know, and I just trying to keep it more simplified has been a huge challenge for me, like where they don't, they're not overwhelmed with their, you know, these toys overflowing out of these buckets and whatever. I, I, I um, really, really help parents declutter and get rid of a lot, a lot, a lot of things. Right. There are so many things that we have in the home that are so much more beneficial to our children than all the toys that um, people want us, people want to give us, or that we buy, that have lights and buzzers and plastic and all this. I mean, I really believe in that. You know, one of the things for the younger children is what we call um, a discovery basket, and in that basket are really wooden spoons and kitchen, you know, safe kitchen utensils or or other things that they can explore that are made of natural material that we can give them proper language for. And that's it. That's all they really need. You know, they don't, they really need to be outside and playing in the dirt, not all that stuff. So I would, I would just ask that maybe you look through it and see what is the purpose of those toys? What is the intelligent purpose of them? And those that you say there's nothing, put them away. Donate. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's yeah. just I think probably all parents here can relate to the complexity of that because then it expands into the relationships that are tied to those like grandma. I gave that to, you know, these kinds of things. And you're trying to figure out a way to negotiate those while not sounding like the, the tyrant of, well, this is the way the environment is supposed to be, you know, that right. kind of thing. Right, but it's, 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 I think it's our role to also educate our friends and family as to what, you know, what it is our goal is with our children that you would much rather instead of they spend the money on all these toys that you know a museum membership or taking them on a trip or on a hike or or you know different things uh, would be much better than these toys that honestly I mean it's you know we often say that the children play with the cardboard box that the toys came in in, and and they really do I mean that is not a lie (laughs) they really do so simplify it what about rotating things out? Because I'll put a lot of their toys up on the shelf or in the closets in a way. And so then what they have down and available is kind of organized as far as a box of blocks or a box of this or whatever. And then every couple months, I'll kind of rotate it out and switch it out. Is that That is idea? perfect because if we observe our children, we will see what they're interested in and what they're playing with. Once they've stopped playing with, also a good sign is when they start um, you know, misusing something, that means that they're bored with it, they're done. Mm-hmm. So take that away and, and trade it in for something else. Something that they played with three weeks ago will suddenly be this whole new toy and this whole new way of playing with it. Mm-hmm. But really keeping only four or five things out 
um, is really ideal. All the rest can really be put <laughs> away, really, really. And it's really about um, if you have activities for older children is to try to keep everything self-contained so that there is... Uh, there isn't that dependence on you. For example, if it's a pasting, um, make sure that on that tray, there is the paper and the scissors and the glue and the brush, that they have everything so that they can independently go and get it, go to their table, do their work, put it back. Mm -hmm. That they don't need to say, hey, mom, hey, dad, where's the paper? Where's the glue? Where's the scissors? So that they can really initiate the activity and do it on their own. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then that independence feels so exactly. good when you see them having it. Exactly. What Real quick, what do you mean by the physical care area? Physical care area is when they are um, newborn and until they are toilet independent is really where you care for them. So it's where you're going to change them, where you're going to dress them, where you're hopefully going to give them massages. Uh, it can be in parallel with the bathing area as well. But have an area designated because with our th by the time our third kid's around, we just change his diaper wherever we can. <laughs> you know, it's funny. <laughs> it's funny. I hear that a lot. Yes. I hear that a lot. But um, I think that it's kind of important at the beginning uh, to just have a place that is uh, comfortable for the caregiver. It, it needs to be, I mean, so it, it can be on the floor or on a bed or wherever. It needs to be comfortable because it's a very intimate time that you're mm -hmm. spending with that child where you're giving them information about their body scheme, their their body image, where you're giving them a lot of language, where you're, you're letting them know what you're doing. Um, and so it, it needs to be kind of a nice place for you that you have everything you need, what... Um, People who do use changing table, what I do like to have them keep in mind is that they have it facing the child. Oftentimes our, our changing tables nowadays, we're sideways. So we're tending to our child only on one side. Mm, that's right. And so it's really, again, you're giving them information about their body scheme. So just turn it around or, or, or you know, be at one end so you're facing them and you're caring for their entire body in, in equal proportion. So much seems to come down to this conflict between convenience for parents and what's best for the kid and mm -hmm. that they don't always match up. And so it seems like a lot of what you're doing is putting the focus back on, you know, the needs of the child. It's the need of the child, but it's the need of the family. I mean, just like for me, the feeding and the physical care area are really areas where the caregiver needs to be comfortable have everything right there at hand. Uh, you know, like the feeding area for me needs to be a really comfy, relaxing chair where whether you're breastfeeding or bottle feeding, you can enjoy that moment. It should be distraction-free. Get rid of those cell phones and computers and TVs and be there with your child. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot about self-esteem, that whole feeding time. So it's just, you know, it, it is, it's to me, it's, it's, it's uh, complements the family. So as we wrap this up and um, you don't show up at somebody's house with a big briefcase full of Montessori stuff and say, here you go, here's how to set it up. Instead, you're giving advice and guidance. So what would your top advice and guidance be to parents interested in this? Well, for one, I do go to people's homes, <laughs> but what I, what I say is that I am looking at the environment from the child's perspective. Okay. So really from the child's point of view. So depending on the age of the child, and this is from birth through six, um, I will look around and see. I, I usually sit and observe for a little bit, kind of see what the dynamics are. If um, this three-year-old keeps on asking for water, 
and that there's no place for him to go get water on his own, well, that's going to be a suggestion of putting a little pitcher of water with a cup that's down at his level yeah. so that when he is thirsty, he can go get water. There's no reason why he needs to wait for somebody to be available to give them water or that, you know, the parent is, oh, are you thirsty? You know, it's, it's just a matter of just, I like to think of it as a special guest coming to stay with us for a while. I mean, for a long time. <laughs> but um, just how, you know, when you have a special guest coming from out, out of town, you, you do some little modifications in your home so that they're going to be comfortable. comfortable. Yeah. So it's the same thing. You know, it's the same thing for the child. So a and lot instead, we try to control our kids. Exactly. So a lot of the modifications actually end up being in the kitchen. Children love being in the kitchen. Yeah. They love participating in the kitchen. So finding, you know, child-sized tools, uh, just letting parents know how to kind of, um, you know, give the simpler task of a recipe to the child. Uh, just letting them participate in with just giving them one potato and a brush is such an empowerment for them. They feel that they, you know, made the whole mashed potatoes. No, they only scrubbed one potato. You probably will never see that potato again, but that's okay. They participated in it, and that's really important. So it's really the kitchen, the bathroom a lot. Uh, simplifying the toys is a big one. A lot of times I have parents that go, oh, my gosh. And the other day I walked into this, um, to a three-year-old's bedroom, and I was overwhelmed. So I can't imagine how this young child feels, you know. And it was beautiful because I went back a week later and mom had gone through everything and just, you know, really gotten rid of a lot. Because it's true, they accumulate. And we, you know, grandma and aunt and all this gave all these things. We don't dare put them away. But I think we can. <laughs> Well, fascinating topic, and unfortunately, we're running out of time. But thank you so much, Jean-Marie, for joining us from Walla Montessori. I want to make sure to say that correctly as many times as I can. Thanks also to Ursula Scott and uh, Lori, our super parents, for contributing as well. For more information about today's topic or for more information about any of our super parent panelists, visit the episode page on our website. The conversation continues for members of our Parent Savers Club after the show. Jean-Marie will tell us a little more about the positive discipline method, which could probably be its own show in and of itself, but I just want to... Completely. <laughs> I just want to go over that just a little bit because it does kind of tie into what you do. Um, But yeah, we may need to revisit that topic again in the future in more depth. For more information about the Parent Savers Club, visit our website, parentsavers.com. Hi, Parent Savers. This is Jody with Urban Sitter, a website that connects you to friend-tested sitters. I'm here to help you figure out the right questions to ask when searching for a babysitter, such as, what qualifications should my sitter have? So you found a sitter that has experience, but what other qualifications do they have? The primary qualification to look for in a sitter is CPR certification and first aid training. If you find a great sitter who isn't CPR certified, you can always offer to pay for a class or better yet, take one with her. It's a great excuse for you to brush up on your CPR too. Ask your sitters to dig deeper into their qualifications. Questions you might not think to ask, like, do you speak another language? Do you know how to cook? Are you willing to help with errands and household chores? These additional skills may just be the icing on the cake. It is possible to find a sitter that can communicate to your infant in sign language or help with the math homework. Or better yet, when you go on vacation, maybe you can take that sitter along with you. Okay, parent savers, it's time to say hello to your old friend's spontaneity. Visit urbansitter.com to find and book babysitters your friends know and love.
That wraps up everything for today on Parent Savers. Thanks again to Jean-Marie Paynell from Walla Montessori. We appreciate you all listening to Parent Savers. Don't forget to check out our sister show, Preggy Pals, for expecting parents, and our show, The Boob Group, for moms who breastfeed their babies. Next week, we're going to be talking about potty training during sleep time, kind of the final frontier of <laughs> accidents. <laughs> this is Parent Savers, empowering new parents. This has been a new mommy media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of New Mommy Media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider. Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.